You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good morning, wherever you are. Welcome to the show. It is, I think... Monday, the 7th of November, by the time you're listening to this, recording this late Sunday evening as I leave Lexington, Kentucky, to come home after what's been an extraordinary few days and some seriously uh, impressive performances. None more so, though, than one of the most emphatic uh, efforts from a a thoroughbred racehorse that I and many others have ever seen, and that was Flightline's devastating victory by eight lengths in two minutes flat in a 2022 Breeders' Cup Classic at Keeneland. Uh, Tom is going to shepherd you through the rest of this podcast with all the domestic news and he'll be catching up with Terry Finley from West Point Thoroughbreds, co-owners of Flightline, who it was confirmed was retired today and would um, stand at Lane's End Farm in Kentucky. But I wanted to share a few thoughts and uh, Tom wanted to, to get your view on, on the race from, from back home. Well, um, hi Nick. It, it was, I mean, it was incredible to watch it. I can't imagine what it was like to, to be there. I mean, there was that point where well, there were a few points where Flavian Pratt was just looking around um, and you thought, does he really have this much horse underneath him? Um, and then off he went. And I wonder what the what was the what was the reaction of the crowd there? Were they were they aware that they were about to witness this horse sort of extend away? You know, those moments on, on a race course where you get that intake of breath and you realize you're about to witness greatness. Was was that was that obvious there? And what was the reception like in the in the sort of winner's circle compared to, say, other other classic winners that you've witnessed? Because I sort of hope, I imagine, we're, we're talking about the best reception you've ever witnessed. Was it or not? Well, I'll come to the reception in a minute because that's quite an interesting point. But in, in terms of your first point, which is how the crowd or how the place responded to the way the race was run, there are relatively few occasions and they're really special ones. And it really, it really is pertinent to, to top-class dirt races where you get two horses going in, a, in an unreconstructed, old-fashioned duel and they are simply trying to stretch their speed as far as they can. Yeah, you saw it with the famous secretariat of Belmont Stakes. It was Sham that played the role of life is good that day and ended up being completely crushed and destroyed. I'm not saying yesterday was quite like that, but there are there are elements of that about it. And I think that's what makes it so, um, so powerful. It's so absorbing that you don't really cast your eye on what's going on behind those front two horses at all. You are just completely sucked in to what they're doing and, and, the, and the distance between them uh, and the rest of the field. Um, you know, the most recent example of that, I suppose, in a Breeders' Cup classic that I can remember, a similar sort of duel was uh, California Chrome and Arrogate, but they didn't establish nearly the, the supremacy through the mid part of the race, as did the horses yesterday. So I, I think that's what made it so exciting. And you, know, you knew they were flying along. You knew when that first fraction of 22 and bits came up and 45, you knew that if these horses were going to stay there, and that if Flightline was going to gallop out as strongly as he did, not touched once, by the way, with the whip by Flavian Pratt, that this was going to be one of the all-time great performances. And when you aggregate that with what he did in the Pacific Classic, and when you aggregate that with what he did in the in the Met Mile, the great stallion making race, they call it, he, he is a, without doubt, however few times he's run, and however dissatisfied people feel by, by the paucity of his, his appearances, um, he is without doubt one of the modern great racehorses on, on on the evidence of what we've seen in 2022. 
Okay, so my second question, I'm going to ask it in yeah. a slightly slightly different way. Then, um, you talked last week on the on the podcast. I think it was with with Lydia about do, can you be a a great horse off the back of one or just two performances, or or do you need longevity and a back catalogue of performances to 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 be one of the greatest or, or the greatest? Where where do we well, stand with that off the back of the run in the Breeders' Cup? When we talk about this, don't we, when we're talking about the thoroughbred racing commentary rankings and, and those rankings, for example, do not believe, you know, in one hit wonders. You know, they, they will not trust one performance because they believe that that performance could be aberrant to the rest of the horse's career. And also they want evidence that that horse is beating horses that have also developed significant CVs. So in the case of this horse, after those first couple of performances where official ratings had him rated the best horse in the world, uh, the thoroughbred racing commentary rankings that we're closely associated with um, wouldn't trust him until he proved it again and again, which he then did by about his fourth start. And then suddenly he's rocketed up to, to two. And then when Baid was a little bit disappointed in Ascot, Flightline went above him uh, to number one. And, and I think what yesterday's race showed was that he had versatility and, and he was also capable of beating an entirely new and different and much more talented group of horses. Let's not forget that life is good. We were, you know, dusting off the, the, the superlatives for him this time last year and saying he could be one of the best we'd seen. And he absolutely smashed up Nick's go in the Pegasus. Uh, the, there's not much wrong with his career. And he was chewed up and spat out, really. Yet he himself emerged with perhaps even more credit than he'd gone into the race because his performance was so brave and showed so much brave and speed. I mean, goodness me, how far would he have won the dirt mile? Hmm. Okay, so is Flightline in... Do you, do you feel he, now he retires to stud, do you feel that he is in people's hearts as much as, say, uh, a Triple Crown winner would be? No. No, because the Triple Crown resonates much more than any other uh, part of American racing. You've got to remember that 20 million people on television domestically routinely watch the, the Kentucky Derby. So a Derby winner has more resonance than uh, a Breeders' Cup winner. There will be as many people, if not more people, who still heard of Rich Strike, who finished fourth yesterday but won the Kentucky Derby, as have heard of Flightline. But within within the sport and within yeah, within the sporting world as well, not just racing, um, Flightline certainly has a, a bit more a bit more presence and resonance than 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 most good horses do. Yeah, he's not not going to be American Pharaoh in terms of his profile, um, but he's a better horse than American Pharaoh was. It, he didn't get he got a wonderful reception yesterday, no doubt. I think the depth of appreciation for the quality of the performance was huge, but he didn't quite get the same guttural roar as did Pharaoh when when he completed what was then called the Grand Slam to add a classic. To his, to his triple crown was or, or when that horse won the Belmont Stakes, for example, which was just nuts. Um, or even when Zenyatta won the, won the Breeders' Cup Classic at, at Santa Anita, the, the, sort of one of the greatest receptions I've ever heard for any racehorse on any, on any track. Um, so it's not that. I think there's probably a pure depth of appreciation for the, for the calibre of flight line and the quality of his performance. Okay, two other things I want to touch upon. I know you're getting on a plane very soon again. Um, first of all, uh, the, the Europeans, um, they, they triumphed in all bar one turf race. Now, I felt looking on, um, or, or, or 
I'll rephrase that. I, I wasn't disappointed looking on that it was very much the the Appleby O'Brien show. I mean, had that been a race meeting in the UK, maybe I'd have felt frustrated that no other connections got themselves in the winner's enclosure. But I felt it was very much a, a sort of team Europe factor. And and it, and it was nice that Europeans did so well. How, how did that sit with you, that it was just two two connections in the winner's enclosure? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, any, any horses that you're familiar with or are trained in, England or Ireland or to a certain extent France, they're going to, you know, tickle your parochial fancy to a certain extent. Um, what I thought was interesting about the Coolmore Godolphin domination was that you look at p- various periods in Breeders' Cup's history, late 90s, Godolphin had a wonderful run sort of into, into 2000, 2001. And then Aidan O'Brien really started to, to kick in in the sort of Johannesburg and High Chaparral horses like that looking incredibly good and he was winning dirt races as well as turf races and yeah he was then piling horses into the event year after year um and then his success started to peter out a bit godolphin's domestic success completely vanished um toward the the back end of the the, the noughties and into the 2010s but then charlie appleby started coming back and now aiden o'brien has really got his horses bang on point for the breeders cup in in the sort of post galileo era with a lot of new stallions represented as well. And I think this is going to be a taste of a taste of things to come. And if you've got Godolphin and Coolmore, the two most heavily resourced global superpowers, firing this sort of depth of turf talent at this event, then the others may as well stand by. Yeah, it's, it's, an, interest, it's an interesting point that, that, that Europe won six out of the seven turf races and had the second, third and fourth in the other one because you know, the orthodoxy it, it goes that you know, Americans are going to get much stronger in these surfaces because they're buying all these horses from Tassels and, and Goffs and uh, and all the auction mm. houses to, to 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 win these. And you know, Chad Brown and Brad Cox are, are going to are going to are going to wipe the floor with us. Well, you can't compete if Godolphin and Coolmore are firing on all cylinders. You just can't. And last word for you, I, I feel should go to to Cody's wish and to to young Cody oh, Dorman. Absolutely. What, I mean, that and it, it was. Uh, I mean, it, it, it was it was something difficult to put into words, and I, I know you, you guys at NBC found it difficult to put into words. It was it was incredibly moving immediately after the race. Um, it, an extraordinary moment, a, a, a truly extraordinary moment. And uh, yeah, I've never been a great believer that you know, there are any um, extraterrestrial factors that can that can spur horses on. But I, I have to say that belief was shaken somewhat uh, yesterday because. When he and Cyberknife hooked up at the top of the lane, I thought, well, Cyberknife just outstays him from here. And Cody's wish just seemed to find that one little last extra bit where it mattered most. Um, what a talented horse he is. And I wonder whether, um, you know, looking at his career for just a moment, whether he might end up turning up to something like the Pegasus in January. But of course, that wasn't the story. The story was about Cody Dorman, after whom the horse is named, whose, whose entire life has been severely compromised by a rare genetic disorder that leaves him unable to move and speak. And it, it, it's, it's just extraordinary, the reaction from his family afterwards. I thought the race call from Larry Colmas was one of the most powerful I've ever heard. Um, I thought my colleagues who, who picked it up on NBC, Ahmed Farid did a, 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 just a wonderful job portraying the, the depth of emotion and that the connection that a human can have with an animal. I think that's what everybody in the sport could really, could really um, warm to and identify with. The, the positive effect this initially foal and now racehorse has had, um, thanks to all the people at, at Godolphin in Kentucky on, um, on young Cody Dorman through Keenan's Make-A-Wish Foundation. It's a massively inspiring story. Um, Nick, thanks as ever. Safe trip back home. I'm sure you're looking forward to it. 
Right, as Nick mentioned, uh, we can hear now from Terry Finley of West Point Thoroughbreds. You know, when you're you're two to five in, in a British, we've never been two to five in a British Cup race, but I thought it'd be pretty cool. To, you know, I thought we had the goods, and and I I really didn't I didn't I didn't quite kind of get my arms around what would happen from the you know, the quarter pole home. So I just. Um, yeah, I, I agree. It was like a lot of other people. We just watched in awe and, and amazement and uh, just very proud to you know, have this horse be part of the industry now. I, I truly believe he's not really ours as much as he's the industry's. Hmm. Well, I think we all felt that. I, I wonder if you can sort of try and, and put into words what what being associated with this horse has been like, I guess, particularly since the Pacific Classic. So the whole build up to, to the Breeders' Cup and the event, the expectation, which is, and then through to the race, just just try and put into words just what the whole experience was like. You know, look, there's no textbook that you, you can reference just in your institutional knowledge, what we've tried to do, but um, at the forefront, uh, you know, people told me that I really respect in the business that I, I, um, uh, I went around and I, I looked for counsel and the two things they, they told me was enjoy every minute of it and, uh, do a lot of smiling. So I've been <laughs> trying to do both of those things. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And I, you know, you know, this is the first horse of this caliber, I believe that has such a wide range of, of, uh, partners. And, you know, I think it's, our, our industry has changed across the world, and we know the power of the partnership. So if there's ever a poster child for the power of, of a partnership, it is Flightline. Mm. And and try and sum up, if you can, what, what John's done with him. Because, you know, obviously, um, for all of his brilliance, there has been fragility at times there in, in his training. John and, and his handling of him, you, you must be... You must be in, incredibly um, proud and pleased with exactly what John has done with the horse, because I mean he he's nailed every single step. Yeah, he's yes, uh, that that's a good that's a good way to describe. It. He's hmm. nailed every every point, and and he's kept moving past those points. I, I you, you know, fragile. I, I don't know. I, I, obviously, I'm biased, but he's never had a surgery. Um, it was just a little things, so. Uh, you, you know, when you have a horse of this caliber, and, and you know, I think I think it's very apparent that John and and uh, Juan Labor, the assistant, uh, knew the brilliance that they had very early when the horse uh, shipped to them at the beginning of 2021. But I guess to sum it up, you know, John has has been very stoic, um, especially after the Met Mile and the Pacific Classic. There were a couple times I, I thought I sensed him him. Uh, getting emotional <laughs> but he walked into the he walked into the press conference yesterday uh and right in the middle he just broke down he just i mean i think that a culmination somebody's manship and and sensibility and uh, you know calm and uh, really really straightforward uh, to be there i think we put all the uh, t- would what better fit for flight and John Sava and his team. Okay, you're right. So I'm going to take back fragility and actually commend you and John and, and, and all the team on the ability to have patience, which I guess isn't always easy when you know you have a brilliant horse 
but you had to be patient at times, right? And and just take back and say, maybe not right now, or maybe this race over this race. And, and it's all come together and worked out for the ultimate goal, which is the classic. Yes. And, and right. That's so true. Uh, you run home in August anymore. Probably going to be the favorite in the Breeders' Cup. But, but off of two races. And I mean, think about, you know, how competitive that we all are. Um, and you, you basically are going to be even money in the Breeders' Cup sprint, but you know, it's, it's not the right thing for the horse. And you, you, you pass up a, a spot like that. And that's what John did. So I, you know, certainly I, I can understand people when they talk about the fragility and the, and the, and the issues and the gaps in it, in his work, but that wasn't a gap that had anything to do with soundness. That was just taking care of the horse. And, um, so we went to the Malibu, but yeah, those decisions that John made and the cumulative, the cumulative effect of all those good decisions, I think, I think got us Keeneland on the 5th of, of November, 2022, um, as good as he could be, um, you know, for the British Cup Classic. So, yes, it, it is a culmination of a lot of, of uh, good decisions on the part of John Sadler and his team. Uh, absolutely. And look, look. finally, you know, as as expected, to be fair, the, the, the horse is retired to stud. I think everyone sees the sense in that decision. Was 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 a Pegasus or a Tripper board ever really on the table off the back of this, or or I, I guess you just do the sensible thing financially, do what's right by the horse and say, new career, here you go. Yeah, um, I, I, obviously it's, a, it's you know multifactorial, right? Yes, I mean we we thought about those things and we've um, uh, we've had them kind kind of brewing, but they've always been a little bit under the uh, underneath of the of the surface because we've been so focused on you know trying to to put him in the right spot, John, and you know making the the right decision. So um, I, I mean. I just, it's, it's a touch uncomfortable, but we're, we're not going to feel bad that we did the right thing for this horse. And, you know, uh, we, we retired him one race too soon or, or, or sooner than one race too late. So look, you know, he's six or six, a, uh, a combined over 70 lengths, uh, uh, on the winning margin. So, um, look, we'd, we'd like some things to be different. We, we, we'd like to run him till he's, Totally seven or eight, I can assure you, because there's nothing more magical than the build up to his races. But at a certain point, um, you know, athletes and their careers are right. They have to move on to the next phase of their lives. And, and I truly believe we all feel in our hearts and in our soul, uh, our souls that we've done the right thing. And, and we uh, we put him in the good. I think he's going to appreciate a bigger impact on this breed and on thoroughbred racing. Terry, congratulations again. It, it was it was just a magic evening capped off by the, the very best racehorse in the world. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Well, Dave Yates of the Daily Mirror joins me now to well reflect, Dave, on, on, on flight line. Um, Nick's covered the performance in, in great detail. Um, we should address the, I guess, disappointment from racing fans, Dave, that, that flight line has been retired. This, of course, comes as no surprise. No, it certainly doesn't. Um, it was mooted beforehand that uh, this would be Flightline's final race. And so uh, the announcement yesterday that I think lucky broke uh, that uh, Flightline was going to be retired to start to stand at Lane's End Farm wasn't exactly a massive surprise. Um, 
Oh, there's so much to discuss with Flightline's legacy, isn't there? I, I don't really wish to get uh, involved in a, uh, a debate. I, I think a pointless debate as to whether Flightline is as good as Secretariat. I don't know. Um, I know that uh, he's won his four grade one races by extended margins. I think it was around 60 lengths, wasn't it, before um, before Saturday's win by eight and a quarter. Um, I think I make it 71 lengths now uh, that uh, he's won his six races by. Um, there is another way of looking at this, isn't there? And it's not just boldly looking at a, a rating that a horse gets by demolishing uh, rivals in any one race. And that is, I suppose, flight lines overall contribution. And in that sense, I think, Tom, that it's stretching it to compare him with the greats. Uh, we didn't see him until the end of April of his three-year-old career, and he's now retired in November of his uh, four-year-old season. He's had six races, four of them at grade one level. As I've said, um, they didn't include any of the American Triple Crown races. So if we take it all in the round, and I know not everybody wants to do that. Some people just want to crunch the numbers uh, and come up with a high figure. If we look at it in the round, then it's... Uh, my contribution, and I don't want people to send me pelters uh, from the Flightline fan club, that his overall contribution doesn't match up to that of the greats of American racing. Can we leave it there before I um, before I get any uh, nasty letters and emails? Send right. them to uh, Nick Luck as uh, the uh, boss of Nick Luck Daily. I, I think all negative correspondence um, to any individual on the podcast do indeed need to go to the man sat right at the top of the tree. Correct? It's his name above the door, Tom. Exactly. What I have also enjoyed is some of the sort of Twitter spats out there between jumps and flat racing fans of the of the whole sort of, oh, retired after six starts, what a rubbish form of sport. And then other people being like, you can't even get any racing at the moment. It's all being rained off. Get your own house in order. It's great. It's very entertaining. Um they're two very different beasts, aren't they? Listen, um, I know you wanted to mention Mr. R. Moore. It's something that we touched on on our broadcast. Um, it, it sort of feels weird, Dave, saying Ryan Moore's riding at the top of his game or better than ever, but it definitely feels like he is. The reason this is worth talking about, Tom, is I think that many perceive there to have been ability, uh, which he carried for a, a, a good many seasons at the start of his career with Sir Michael Stout and then uh, with Aidan O'Brien. And remember, it's not that long ago. Um, is it one spring ago or two springs ago that I think it was Paddy Power offering Colin Keane at one to six uh, to be the new stable jockey at Ballydoyle and thereby replace uh, Ryan Moore. And 2022 has been... Uh, an Annus Mirabilis uh, for the jockey. Um, if we wind the clock back to May and Chester, remember he was the man with the golden gun that day. And it, it's conti he's continued in similar vein. Um, there is, there's one aspect of Ryan Moore's job that I think uh, many of his weighing room colleagues would not envy. And that is the fact, of course, that Aidan O'Brien has multiple entries in lots of Group 1 races. So Ryan Moore, over the years, has become used to looking at the likes of uh, Shamir Heffernan, uh, Porig Beggy, of course, famous, famously, uh, winning 
derbies whilst he was on uh, the Ballydor first string for Aidan O'Brien. And whether that led to a loss of confidence, I don't really know. But what is for sure is that uh, this has been a stellar year for Ryan Moore. It started off really well. Uh, it's gone through the year uh, like a name through a stick of rock. And this weekend, he was just absolutely imperious, wasn't he? Um, everything he did came off. Uh, the three winners for him, a record three for Aidan O'Brien. That's the first time that um, the trainer has had a trio of victories at a single Breeders' Cup. But uh, the man on top is doing very little, if anything, indeed, wrong at the moment. Stellar year for James Doyle as well, with his first couple of classics and his first Breeders' Cup winner as well. I spoke to him late last night asking about Rebels' romance being just the tonic, really, after a, a disappointing Breeders' Cup personally for him 12 months ago. Absolutely, yeah. Like you said, last year was a bit of a, a well, mixture of emotions because obviously we had a fantastic Breeders' Cup, Charlie, obviously with the three winners, but... I thought Master of the Seas could run quite well and obviously to be withdrawn at the start was quite a blow and uh, we thankfully won the race anyway. So, um, yeah, to come back here a year later in um, Keeneland in Kentucky where my sister's lived for many years and to ride a British Cup winner for the first time is pretty, pretty breathtaking really. It still hasn't sunk in 100%. Just, just take me through the race because there was a moment where, uh, I mean, I don't know whether that you were thinking of doing this, but you, you seemed to just edge outside Will, and then in turn Frankie got pushed a little wider than you. Maybe not ideal for him, and you sort of found yourself in in a in a wide position, but an ideal position to have an uninterrupted run in the straight. So was was that in your mind going down the back that for you to sort of try and angle out? Well, I think um, watching the turf races from the day before and earlier on on the Saturday I thought the main kind of bulk of the winners or certainly the horses that ran well came um, kind of tipping out on the turn and finishing off well and speaking to a few people that are very um, knowledgeable on racing around Keeneland they they were quite keen um, on that being the right thing to do so kind of get covered up early and then when you can get clean air to the outside try and come with one smooth run down the down not the outside but wherever you could get it just keep the momentum kind of building and um it just kind of worked out that way i mean i got a lovely position in behind will it was quite a rough race early and rebels romance as you've probably seen on tv he's a pretty pretty um imposing horse and um he seemed a little raw on on the turns but when we got to the back straight and the home straight he was very much in his comfort zone so it was all about just trying to keep him as smooth as we could and when we popped outside Will I could feel Frankie kind of on my outside sort of joining in and it just felt like the right thing to do and um, like I said I had plenty of advice kind of going into into the day so yeah it worked out thankfully and let's not forget he won pretty well so I think it would have wouldn't have mattered what you know what we'd have done he was a pretty impressive winner on the day I think yeah wasn't he just I, I, I was quite struck when um we were at Kempton together just before you flew out and I was struck by how confident you were about him because I know he'd he'd, he'd you know put a nice little run together but um he still needed to step up on his bare form to to, to cut it with the best of these but it, it felt like you were pretty confident yeah well I, I suppose the thing that, that we 
was slightly questioning and probably shouldn't have done it is the strength and depth of the German form. I think as we've seen for you know quite some ta- time now that the the German form is the best that there is around. You know we've seen the Arc winner um, campaigned in Germany um, before the Arc, and I think um, that was the only way that we didn't quite know. Although he'd beaten the German Derby winner on his last start, we didn't quite know how to sort of equate that form. So that was the only slight negative. But we knew on his previous two starts in Germany, he, he raced on ground that was much softer than he would have preferred. So we knew back on turf would definitely suit him. And I guess the only slight worry would be the, the kind of... Although Keelan's quite a fair track as, as they come out here for the Breeders' Cup. You know, it's not a Delmar or a Santa Anita. It's much fairer for us Europeans coming over here. It's still pretty tight and would have been as tight as he would have encountered. But having said that, he did cope with Goodwood quite well when he won um, earlier on in, in the year. So um, I, I don't know whether I was being optimistic, Tom, or, or confident. I'm not too sure. It was quite late on a... On a, on a Monday night, I think we spoke, or, or a Wednesday night, was it? Yeah, it was wet and windy, that's what it was, and um, and I think you were hoping out to getting out to slightly warmer climbs at least. Uh, finally, where, where does this rank? Obviously, your, your, your first classic winners in the UK this year, two in two days, and you've ridden top-level winners all over the world, Australia, Dubai, etc. Was this, was this right up there? Was it the pick of them? Where does it rank? when you're growing up you want to have the uh, flowers over your lap and chucking them in the air and you know it's something you dream about doing and I always have and unfortunately Rebel's romance is slightly um, tricky so I didn't get to chuck flowers in the air on Charlie's advice but um, yeah it's pretty spectacular and I think it's even more important the fact that my sister's been based here for around eight years and like I said yesterday I feel like I've come over to the Breeders' Cup on many of occasions and over here I'm known as Sophie's brother so I feel like there's um, a fair bit of kind of pressure on me to perform well and I've had pretty good chances in the past and things just haven't unfolded quite as good or maybe I was a little immature in my approach to the races Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure but it feels pretty good to sort of get one on the board and proud that my sister um, unfortunately she wasn't there to watch but I feel like she's um, pretty proud of me and we actually went on a hunt ride today myself and her so it was pretty um, different to yesterday riding the Breeders' Cup winner yesterday and doing a hunt ride with her today but um, yeah it's, it's as, as good as it gets I think uh, Great stuff Sophie's brother won the turf I love that Well done James thanks <laughs> Thanks Tom Okay, domestic action now. Um, we're going to turn to Ireland and the Down Royal Labrooks Champion Chase. We saw Embois Allen winning over three miles. Here's Richard Thompson of Cheveley Park Stud. I spoke to him earlier on to see exactly what he made of it. Oh, so I'm absolutely uh, delighted. I mean, you know, he was obviously the second coming at, at, a, at a point in time, wasn't he? Where he'd won sort of, he was unbeaten and he won, a, I think he won five grade ones and Won the Ballin, won the champion bump in the and the Ballinmore, but obviously fell in the marsh. Fell in the marsh, and obviously uh, 2021 during lockdown in that in that chill. But then of course it's been a bit hit and miss since then with him. Um, couple of wind issues, 
maybe trying to find the right distance for him as well. He, he did win the Great One last year, the free runner Great One over two miles at uh, Leopardstown. But yesterday was just fantastic because it really showed him to be you know, back, back to his back to his best and the talent that we knew that was there. Um, we were commenting on on luck on Sunday this morning. Tom Scudamore was in, and and you know we were. We were saying that as an owner to have three top level winners uh, as staying chasers must be must be quite something. Must be must be quite a feeling. It's um, I suppose it's a privilege. I don't know if it's a problem, but it's definitely a privilege. It's definitely not a problem, Tom. I mean, I, and I said to someone yesterday um, after last season, the season before, particularly last season, you know, anything, anything that goes on now is a bonus for us in terms of these horses that we bought. Um, as you say, Envoy, uh, Abuchar and Alaho, uh, it's absolutely fantastic and uh, just, we, we just feel blessed to be in this purple patch with, with three such decent horses. So okay, so do, do you have now a, a horse that you're gonna that you're gonna keep to three miles plus? Do you think, or, or is it in your mind that if if necessary, you could drop back to the intermediate trip? No, I mean he'll he'll probably go to the King George at this point, and then I think we'll keep him at three miles plus because he was, as you saw, he you know he was going to the line, he went through the line, so I, I think he wanted every single yard of that three miles yesterday. Um, and I think that's what we'll, we'll definitely keep them there now. OK, so where does that leave you with Alaho, who I believe is is, is set for, for Clonmel in, in 10-ish days' time or, or so, and, and he is sort of being billed as the as the Irish Raider for the King George. Is that is that still the plan, depending on how Clonmel goes? That was still with the plan, yeah. I mean, Alaho, in terms of the three miles, the, the, the Clempton... Um, track would be perfect for him so yeah I think the, uh, the that would still be the plan to, run, to potentially run them both you know if that was the case if that's the right race for both of them we'll, we'll go with both of them you know but uh, definitely and then uh, uh, um I'm getting myself confused now. Um, the current Gold <laughs> Cup winner, Aplutard, is set to reappear in the in the Betfair Chase again. Um, look, he's 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 going to take on fewer than he took on last year because we've only had six entries and he and he and there were seven in the race last year. How how is he as far as you know? All good. Yeah, very good. Yeah, very good indeed. And what's your sort of feeling about him uh, another another year on his back coming into this season? I suppose you know from what you're saying after after the after the year you had last year, anything he does this year is 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 just a, an added on extra. It really is. Uh, Tom. I mean, look, he's won for us the saddles the, uh, the year before. Then he won obviously the Betfair Chase last year at the Gold Cup. I mean, this is just fantastic. Um, I mean, you know, what could, I mean, the pinnacle win the gold cup of Chelsea, of course, but no, I mean, look, he, you know, we'll keep to the same way as he, as he had last year, the three races, so, yeah, fingers crossed, he can hopefully have another very good season, but um, we, we all know there's other up-and-coming horses, you know, on the way through, and, you know, you've got to keep a horse match fit, etc., and injury-free, so, you know, we look forward to the, to the Betfair chase in, in, uh, anyway, in 13 days' time now, and then take it from there, but we're, we're, we're we're very, we're very excited about that. Um, and if I can, just one more on Alaho, who was so electric at Punchestown. And, and look, as I say, we'll see what he does over his next couple of starts. Um, you know, have you ruled out him being a Gold Cup horse, or, or is that still still on his agenda, depending on what happens with the other two, depending on how he performs? I think, look, looking at each of them individually, and that's the way we want to keep the, look at these horses. I think Alaho, you know, he's 
Yeah, he won the Punch Town Gold Cup. He'll go for the King George most probably. He's obviously a jeweler of the Ryanair. I mean, you know, he, he, he was in the RSA, as you know. He, he, that last two furlongs at Cheltenham up the hill, I mean, it may, it may just be a bit a bit too much for him. But um, we certainly got an open mind. I mean, we're just taking it step by step. But, I mean, obviously, you know, the plan at the moment is probably to try and win three Ryanairs with him. Mm. That would be the plan. But if he obviously showed that he could go a bit further, if he showed that he actually was enjoying the uh, um, the longer distance, uh, the King George, and it looked it, it looked it looked promising. I wouldn't say no to the Gold Cup, but of course, that's the result. We'll definitely go for the Gold Cup, and and then Boy Allen at the moment that could, that could well be a target as well. So um, hmm. you know, Alaho, Alaho. I mean, people would love to see him in the Gold Cup probably because his front running style. Um, but uh, you know, there, there would have to be slight doubts whether he'd actually stay the stay the Gold Cup distance at Cheltenham. Um, I hear you. Listen, it's uh, it was great yesterday, and it's an exciting couple of weeks for you coming up. Thanks for your time. Well, Dave, the news there, the, really, that is that M.Y. Allen is added to the King George team. They're very happy to run two in it, Alaho and M.Y. Allen, depending on, on what happens with Alaho at, at, at Clonmel. Uh, all being well, we could have um, double Cheveley Park at Kempton. Yeah, it's interesting that. Um, in the um, odds comparison sites over the weekend, uh, after the victory uh, in the champion chase at Down Royal, there were a few gaps uh, when it came to Envoy Allen and, and the King George. And it's interesting that they are going to run too. It, Chivley Park have got um, a nice problem to have, haven't they, over Christmas? Because if we think of the two signature races over three miles in Britain and Ireland, we've got the Savills Chase over three miles at Leopardstown over Christmas, and, of course, we've got the King George. Um, now, in a normal course of events, if a... a, a an operation like Cheveley Park had two horses, that would be great. You'd say, right, okay, Alaho is going to go for the King George and Aplutar uh, will go for the Savills chase. But now, of course, they've got three top-class grade one winning three-mile chasers, and so two have got to go for one race. Um, I don't think that Alaho necessarily would necessarily will need any backup uh, at Kempton on Boxing Day but if he does then obviously he's got a useful ally in Envoy Allen um, this was a horse who was the uh, the coming force of jump racing for a couple of winters um, the wheels came off to a degree um, over the last season or so but it was good to see him back there was uh, there was clearly uh Great satisfaction to be uh, gained from uh, Henry de Bromhead and all his connections with that defeat of Kenboy. And as was suggested afterwards, this does open doors. So a two-pronged challenge for Cheveley Park at the King George and, and both of them. Alaho is a superstar and, well, so is Envoy Allen. And so uh, the, the home contingent uh, led by Brave Man's Game will have to be on their mettle. As far as reviewing the best of British, Dave, at the weekend, what left out at you? Right. Well, I thought that uh, I was particularly pleased to see Safi Osborne uh, win the November handicap at Doncaster on Metier for Harry Fry. Um, that's a race that people of my age, on the the, the first Saturday um, of November, the November handicap used to be 
the biggest game in town. At one time, we didn't have the Breeders' Cup and we didn't have uh, all the, the jumps races that we do have now uh, definitely have grown in stature. That would have been the headline act a few decades ago, but it's certainly noteworthy. Um, the biggest victory of Safi Osborne's career and, of course, Metier, a horse that we know very well from the jumping sphere. Um, and also at Wincanton, uh, one of those races that has grown in stature over the years, and that was the victory of Frodon in the Badger Beer Chase. Um, Bryony Frost lost the ride on Grenatine in, uh, during last week. Harry Cobden, of course, rode the horse to that victory in the Holden Gold Cup at Exeter. And Frodon has been a real ally to Bryony Frost over uh, the last few years. Remember the, the, the victory in the Ryanair Chase at Cheltenham in uh, March 2019, certainly uh, made the headlines. And this horse went into a handicap and carried top weight to victory. What a star he's been. He's clearly not quite maybe at the level uh, that he has been in the past, but this was a really stirring victory. Um, I just want to pick up on something there. You sort of, that resonating with me that you're saying Bridie Ross lost the ride on on Grenatine. I, mean, I, I sort of feel I'd, I hadn't appreciated it as such, but... I mean, ultimately, it, for all that Harry Cobden is champion jockey, it's a bit nothing. Uh, sorry, try again. For all Harry Cobden is stable jockey um, to Paul Nichols, it's a bit nothing to see here. Of, of course, he he rides the best in the yard. But there again, this time last year, we were looking at Grenatine as Bryony's ride. Yeah, well, this was, I mean, I, I, the, um, I wrote this story in the Mirror last week and um, a couple of people said, that's not a story, mate. And I said, well, it, it is really because uh, this was... Uh, during last season, Bryony Frost rode the horse, of course, to that really emotional victory in the Tingle Creek Chase at, at Sandown last December. That was the weekend that was between uh, the, the the two sittings of uh, the bullying case against uh, Robbie Dunn. And remember, anyone who was there at, uh, at Sandown that day cries of, we love you, Bryony, uh, three cheers for Bryony, that sort of stuff. And it was only when uh, she was injured at Aintree in April, as a result of that, sh that she missed the ride in the celebration chase at Sandown. Har Harry Cobden was on board that day. She had ridden the horse uh, to victory in the same race 12 months earlier. So, um, for me, this was a story. Um, Harry Cobden, of course, was jocked up in the Holden Gold Cup. I rang Paul Nickers and I said, what's the score with the jockeys here, Paul? Because um, Bryony has obviously become uh, an ally, if you like, of uh, Grenatine. And he said, Harry is the stable jockey. He's not going to want to get off this horse, I don't think. If he's injured, then Bryony will get her chance. But he's the stable jockey and he will ride Grenatine. So... That was a that was a blow. Certainly, um, reading Bryony's copy in column in the Sun two weeks earlier, it sounded like she was expecting to get back on board Grenatine, uh, but it looks as though that isn't going to happen for the foreseeable at least. Okay, Dave, all I need from you is a, a tip, perhaps a winning one. We're at Kempton today. Uh, is I, I assume it's coming from there. It's not actually, Tom. Oh, uh, the absolute scene. Going? Go on. 
We are going to the eight o'clock at Wolverhampton and a horse called Lucky San Jour. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. I couldn't find uh, San Jour as a, as a place. Uh, but anyway, a horse who missed uh, the target for Jessica Harrington, but is now two from two from Marco Botti and handicaps five pounds higher than for a course and distance win last time, but is still on an upward curve and I hope can win again. Eight o'clock race at Wolverhampton today. Selection is number nine. Lucky San Jour. Dave, thank you very much. I'll see you in about two and a half hours. Thanks to everyone that um, tuned in throughout the, the last couple of weeks, really, where um, Nick has been everywhere and anywhere, um, all the Australian content and, um, and and the American content as well. And to any Australian racing fans out there that wanted uh, some sort of review or update of the, the Spring Carnival, which closed on Saturday, Sozaki winning the Champions Stakes, Nature Strip beaten in the sprint. I want to apologise for um, not having any content on today about that i fully intended to have annabelle nisham on and, and the time difference counted against me ever so slightly so um we will have um content relating to that i know nick is very keen to get that on um tomorrow where he will be back in the hot seat thanks again for listening today that was monday the 7th of november bye bye You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.